0: Put your hands together for Beth Pratt Bergstrom. Yay. Can you guys hear me, or is this better? Probably this is better. Okay. Thank you for coming out. This, wow, it's not for me. I know it's for P22, but that's good. And um, it's interesting. I... Love what I'm doing. If you told me I'd be working on mountain lion conservation in the middle of Los Angeles five years ago, as someone who's worked in Yosemite and Yellowstone, I would have laughed at you hysterically. But um, to me, P22's story and what he represents and what LA is doing for a mountain lion is the most inspirational thing I've ever worked on. So thank you for being a part of that and showing up tonight. people who know me will not believe this, but I'm actually pretty much an introvert, but I know I have to be an extrovert to get this crossing built and to get mountain lions like P-22 uh, protected. Um, But this helps. This book, um, and I I really want to thank Christine and Skylight Books for hosting us because I don't get any royalties for this book. It all goes back to the work. Um, And the book was really written. It is more than P-22. He's obviously the lead story. But as a desire to get the stories out so that people will get involved and help protect wildlife in L.A., in Silicon Valley, and actually around the world. So thanks for coming out tonight. It really means a lot. And more importantly, it means a lot to the wildlife. So um, this book, when I started it, was very different than when um, the end product you see. Um, I do come from a very traditional conservation background. I've worked in Yellowstone National Park. Uh, I worked in Yosemite for a decade. Um, I live up near Yosemite half-time. The other half-time I live in L.A., and I love both. Um, but my view of conservation for most of my career is you, wildlife needs to be in those places, right? Uh, a Yellowstone, uh, a Yosemite. You, you put the wildlife in these far-off places and they're protected. Check the box. It's not working. Uh, that, that model is outdated and science is showing that now. That what we're seeing is that wildlife needs large landscapes in urban and suburban areas because where else can they go the number one threat to wildlife is a loss of habitat so if we don't start sharing our our human spaces they are not going to have a future and P-22 I can think of no other poster child than P-22 for that and LA is sharing its space give yourself a hand (laughs) any other city in other states this mountain lion would have been shot or removed the day he was discovered so that L.A., even when he decides to munch on a koala bear, <laughs> that L.A. says we want him, is pretty significant. So so again, thanks for showing up. Thanks for being... I'm going to do... Uh, tonight, I'm just going to do a few readings. And then really, I want to hear from you on questions um, on some of the wildlife stories I'm going to tell. Um, but again, I can't thank Skylight Books enough. And I can't thank our co-hosts enough, Friends of Griffith Park, who is a really proud partner of ours in Save LA Cougars. I mean, they have cake for you after. Dora made homemade taquitos. They have wine. But Jerry, do you, you know, I just want to recognize Jerry, I couldn't think of a better partner than Jerry and Mary and the whole board who's here. Do you want to stand up those that are on the board? And mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Woo! hmm Mm-hmm.
1: National
0: Wildlife Federation
1: did a hike and uh, high can can seek, yeah. Mm-hmm. Party, and seek where you came here? We had uh, stations, yeah. this is for kids and their
0: parents. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, at the panel station we actually had a uh, rattlesnake.
0: Yeah, oh, that's right, and a coyote. yeah coyote. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, experience. Mm-hmm. But uh, Beth became Including what maybe she'll tell tell us about the the P22
0: day, Mm -hmm. which hopefully some of you came to. um, So thanks for coming. Thanks for jamming in. Yep. Thank you, Jerry. And then I also want to introduce my wonderful colleagues who are here tonight who make it happen. This is Brenna and Tony. Um, Tony. Gets the cougar word out in the schools. <laughs> and Brenner works with us on fundraising. And again, this is a monumental task we're trying to do, build a wildlife crossing at $60 million. These guys make it happen. So they're here, talk to them after and stuff like that. So thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. So let me get to the story. Again, this started out as a really different book. It was just there's no book right a uh, current book on California wildlife. So when I started my job, was, uh, I've been working with Heyday Books actually for years even in Yosemite and Malcolm and I who are good friends got together and we're like, "Let's let's do a book on California wildlife together." But as I started doing the research and then P22 popped up, I'm like, "There's a there's a Better story here than just California wildlife. This urban interface is something special. And when 90% of the people in California live in the urban interface, and when the animals are starting to show up there and stay, that's the story. And that's, I think, obviously the one we're familiar with, with P-22. So if, if you've read the book or are familiar, or if you're buying the book tonight... Um, You'll see there's five chapters with five main stories, and I'm going to read a a few from them. And then there's about 50 side stories in the book about most of these are the urban interface. Um, And they all just inspire me that people in some of the most unexpected places are protecting wildlife. Um, But the first chapter in the cover, obviously, uh, is P-22. And um, when I started researching his story... Uh, and really looking at, when I first read the, the in the LA Times the uh, the report in 2012 that there was a mountain lion living in Griffith Park I had probably been to LA three times in my life, I was, a, I was a proper snobbish Northern Californian, thought that LA was void of anything but cement and smog um, but I called up the National Park Service and said, is that true? <laughs> um, and Jeff Sickich, who is forever my hero, he's become a good friend, um, was generous enough to take me out for the day and at the end of the day, I was so blown away after we toured Griffith Park. I didn't even know Griffith Park existed. But then when he told me, you know, when we actually retraced P-22's journey in a car, I was just so blown away with what these mountain lions do to survive in this urban area. And I told him, what can I do to help? You know, through my role with the National Wildlife Federation. And that's when he said to me, well, there's this little wildlife crossing we want to get built. <laughs> little did I know, little? <laughs> but, um, so I really wanted to do more to help, and I think we owe it to p 22 so, what I did in the book was sort of um, put in first person part of his journey, and Jerry referenced we did P twenty two Day in Urban Wildlife Week last year. Mark your calendars; it's again this year, October fifteenth to twenty second, and we retraced his route. And honestly. I don't know how we made it, never mind a mountain lion. Parts are fine but like try walking down Mulholland with no sidewalks. Uh, it's pretty remarkable that this cat made it to Griffith Park. So I'm going to read for you the end of his journey as I uh, envision it, which I've walked several times and I tried to see it through P-22's eyes. So P-22 just may be the Neil Armstrong of his kind. A quick glance at his route on a map shows he had to be a bit mad to even attempt his journey. To get to his new territory of Griffith Park, he must cross two of the busiest freeways in the United States. Imagine soft, padded paws fitted for bounding over snow and boulders touching the asphalt of the first eight-lane highway, known as one of the worst roads in the country. Anybody want to guess what that first highway is? 405. Yeah. Even in the middle of the night, the 405 never slows and the highway thrums with mechanical noise and explodes with the mad dance of headlights. When faced with the living, breathing monster of the 405, most cats do an abrupt about-face or get mangled by a few tons of moving steel. But P-22, with its tenacity or luck or both, somehow manages to cross. There is no way of knowing how he navigates the formidable obstacle of the road, whether he uses an over or underpass or bolt straight across. All have been attempted by other cats, and most haven't lived to tell the tale. My guess? He probably did what most of us do when confronted with the Los Angeles freeways. Floor it and hope for the best. <laughs> imagine that bound one large step for cougar kind mountain lions can jump a span of 45 feet someone might have seen P-22 startled by the view of him dashing across the road in a blur of manic motion but since mountain lions are not a usual reality for the LA motorist that long tail or autumn brown coat in the headlights was probably attributed to a large dog His miraculous feat, however, only pushes him into more densely populated areas where he must keep going, perhaps thinking to himself he has hit the point of no return. I imagine his final miles as akin to a thirsty man wandering in a desert, hoping for signs of water with every step. Then, like a mirage, the Hollywood hills appear, a green expanse filled with deer, Even more importantly, he senses no indication of another male mountain lion. Cougars leave scent marks of urine or feces or scrapings on trees to designate their territory and warn other lions to keep out. One last push. He might stand on the Mulholland overlook at night, gazing at the city lights of downtown to the south and the lack of lights on the landscape due east, another promising sight. He might consider his options for crossing the one hundred one, peeking out of his hiding place while he rests during the day, smelling the heavy stench of gasoline and exhaust, the noxious perfume of the freeways. Perhaps he's also curious about those giant white letters jutting out of the hillside. (laughs) We don't know what Hollywood means in cougaries, so (laughs) P twenty two somehow navigates the one hundred one, ranked by some as the worst commute in America. He might pause a moment with a triumphant look back to his destination, sauntering through the winding roads and quiet neighborhoods, taking notes of the Hollywood Reservoir, a place you will soon frequent. If cougars feel relief, I am sure P-22 does at this moment. No houses. No other male cougars. Plenty of deer. Hashtag winning. And then he creates a marking as significant in the cougar world as the famous boot print on the moon. He scrapes a tree with his claws, forcefully and with much satisfaction, and claims Griffith Park for his own. (laughs) That that cat is staying there. He is doing something no male mountain lion in at least recorded scientific history is doing. Which is, they usually roam over 250 square miles. They'll kill a deer, go 10 miles, kill a deer, go 10 miles. He has stayed in eight square miles. Since 2012, it is amazing, and he seems to like us. You know, he's he's hanging out. He, you know, uh, if you're a koala, you might have a problem, or a coyote. But for the most part, um, I would say that cats. We tend to think of wildlife as in groups, but wildlife, mountain lions, no exception, are individuals. And I would say that not every mountain lion would have been successful there. So I just think we keep having to celebrate the remarkableness of this cat that he's coexisting with 10 million people. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, Miguel, where's Miguel? Miguel is here, who discovered the first photo of P22. So be sure to talk to him. But he also has this photo set of this P22 is sitting for some reason right in front of the camera, and then three seconds later, a jogger goes by, Uh, and you know P22s move maybe five feet away so that just shows you these cats you know he's avoiding us and he he, he's figured out how to coexist so to me that is fairly remarkable Um, One of the other stories, probably the chapter that was the hardest to write for me that talks about how we're coexisting, and we may think of Yosemite as a national park. We may think of it as the furthest thing from, um, you know, L.A. But in some respects, how many have been to Yosemite and Yosemite Valley? It's a pretty small city, right, in Yosemite Valley. So I worked in Yosemite for a decade And I still make my home, or at least my part-time home, um, right on its uh, southwestern border. Um, But one of the first projects I started working on there was the Yosemite Bear Project. And this is just about uh, as much about coexistence and the same lesson that when we start taking responsibility for helping these animals be successful, it can work. Like LA has stepped up and said, we're taking responsibility for for having a mountain lion here. Uh, The same happened in Yosemite where they were having terrible bear problems for years That you know, first the park, like in the 20s, would feed them, and that went on for a long time, up actually through the 50s and 70s, in some respects. Um, And bears were really conditioned to human food, and. You're pretty much, you're, I think Yosemite serves something like 22,000 meals a day. You have campers, you have restaurants, you have garbage, you have people leaving their food out. And it was creating a really horrible situation for both people and bears. And what the park's default, because they had no other recourse, was if a bear got too uh, used to food, they would eventually euthanize it because it became a threat to people and um, you know, uh, to the human safety as well. So this went on for a long time, and the bear biologists who I'm close friends with, and and was at the time, were just so frustrated. They were tired of killing bears. There seemed to be no end in sight. And finally, they flipped the problem. Wait a minute! It's not the bears being bad; it's the people. <laughs> and this is a national park. And one of my favorite quotes is by the late Steve Thompson, who was a good friend who is the person who really architected this whole approach. Bears are smart, and some are very smart. My problems start when the smarter bears and the dumber visitors intersect. <laughs> <laughs> So, once they started educating the public, and they did a whole PR campaign that I was really proud to be involved in. We had product, you know, stuffed bears in the store. You came into the park, you know, those of you who've been there, I'm sure you're familiar with this. You can't rent a hotel room there without signing your life away that you won't store food in cars. And this is so ingrained in us that live in the park that literally I'll be like in LA or San Francisco cleaning my car out of food and being, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to do that in LA. Um, But it worked bear incidents at the heyday in, in the late 90s were at $600,000 a year I think it was 7000 last year I mean it was almost nothing um, but the lesson here is you can't stop, though. The, you know, the bear management people will tell you this is a constant educational effort, and if we let up, it just takes you know, one person to leave out that cooler to turn a bear that could eventually lead to uh, its death. So, but this is really encouraging. If Yosemite can do it, we can do it. And I think you know, there's parallels to L.A., how we're also taking responsibility. So I thought I'd just read a little bit from that chapter. And one of the things they're doing there, which I think is really cool, is like P-22, they got uh, the Yosemite Conservancy donated some GPS collars to the research team, and they're now seeing how bears move. And again, it's been in surprising ways. I think these wildlife cameras and GPS collars are the best things because we're learning about wildlife. And what they're seeing is the bears in Yosemite don't just stay there. They're, They're, you know... You know, hiking it over the Sierra like in 24 hours. So it's really interesting to to learn more about their behavior. They're an amazing animal. Uh, but here's just a little selection from from the bear chapter that tells the story of how Yosemite stepped up to save its bears. Although it may seem counterintuitive to the overall goal of keeping wild animals wild, all of these human efforts are necessary in order to preserve the integrity of wildlife, whether in an urban setting or Yosemite. Their fate now depends on us. As the Washington Post reported in 1997, though many visitors do not realize it, the wild places and wild creatures Americans treasure have become increasingly managed by man, down to the smallest detail. Yosemite is one of the best protected places on the planet, but even there, wildlife needs a little help from its human friends. Yosemite teaches us that wherever we live, keeping wildlife wild is our responsibility. What if all four million visitors arrived to Yosemite already trained in the tenants of Keep Bears Wild? What if we were all as aware of our garbage disposal in our backyards as we were in the park? The consequences are no less dire. Countless bears and coyotes, lured by pet food and trash, are killed across the country daily, along with raccoons, possums, skunks, and an entire host of critters that share our space. By making our food accessible, we invite these animals into our neighborhoods, and many suffer fatal consequences. Yet the fixes are so simple. We're all part of the problem, but we're also part of the solution. The Yosemite Miwok tell a tale of two wayward bear cubs that ignore their mother's advice and wander too far from her side, splashing and playing and swimming in the river to their heart's content. They grow tired and nap on a nearby boulder, but while they sleep, the rock rises... until the little bears scrape their faces against the moon and they wake up to find themselves trapped unable to descend down the dizzying heights to return home all of the creatures of the forest miss the two bear cubs and make plans to try to rescue them yet all fail, even the mighty mountain lion finally a tiny inchworm volunteers and despite the other animals taunts he starts to creep up the rock his pace is slow but with patience and courage, he rescues the cubs by leading them back to the valley floor. The rock was then named in his honor, to Takanula. Next time you visit Yosemite, take a look at his rock, now called El Capitan, and think of the tiny animal's long journey to save the two bear cubs. Surely, we can all match the efforts of an inchworm. Timekeepers, how am I doing? Okay, okay, all right. I have two more I want to share with you. So, um, the other story that just captured my imagination was the Facebook foxes. Has anybody here heard of them? All right, you have to whip out your cell phones now and follow FB Fox. I, I won't penalize you. Um, on Facebook, so this again is one of those remarkable stories of this family of foxes show up on the Facebook campus, and I was lucky enough to get the tour of the Facebook campus. I want to live there, okay They have you know, tennis courts and free ice cream, and they have these beautiful Zen gardens and it 's fifty seven acres, but a lot of it is open space. And you know these high tech campuses. If you look at them, they build them because they want to keep these high tech workers happy, and they do it by creating a lot of connection in nature. Because, and in fact, Disney, um, the consultants for Disney, helped design the Facebook campus. So that should tell you how happy it is to go there. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah I didn't want to leave um, <laughs> but I saw why the foxes wanted to be there And but this is a pretty populated campus you have 2,500 employees wandering around skateboarding or programming and stuff and the pictures in the book I think say it all there's people on their computers and these fox pups are you know whizzing by um, but again what was something to celebrate is these, this fox family shows up and they actually give birth um, on the boardwalk in the zen garden so if you can just imagine right here is the boardwalk and right here is the grassy area and there's pups that start running around the campus now the, the employees didn't pet them and they didn't feed them but they became an accepted part of their campus whereas most companies would have gotten rid of them Facebook did the exact opposite. They celebrated them. They created emojis. You can you can, you can download the, the you know um, um, Facebook fox emojis. They have um, a mural in one of their meeting rooms. They have a stuffed animal in Facebook po- fox pens celebrating that they were coexisting with these. And I got to go on campus. We awarded Facebook a certified wildlife habitat. And then Mark Zuckerberg himself, and there's a picture of him in the book with the foxes, put on his Facebook page to 30 million followers at the time We're really happy that National Wildlife Federation is helping us coexist with these foxes. At that point, I asked for a raise. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but it is something to celebrate that these employees, who admittedly most of them aren't environmentally inclined, they are you know people who program, um, just naturally and instinctually knew how to coexist without you know focus groups and f- hundred-page manuals. Um, but it gets to something bigger that we're that's the program I work on um, up in Silicon Valley. We have these two wonderful fox researchers who are charting the movements of the Silicon Valley foxes um, and with the Urban Wildlife Research Project and trying to make sure we create these corridors using all the high-tech campuses if you look at google and uh, apple's new campus looks like a biodome i mean they're only building on 11 percent of the campus and the rest is going to be native marshland and trees so we're looking at connecting those to make more wildlife corridors uh for for all the, the the fauna there so i just wanted to read a little from that chapter um on the foxes, but yeah, go to F- Facebook Fox. Uh, you know, foxes napping on BMWs, foxes, you know, <laughs> running across the Facebook campuses, employees are, are looking on. It's, it's pretty inspirational. As we are finally learning, our favorite approach to conservation, preserving islands of habitat, hasn't worked well. As Mary Ellen Hannibal bl- states bluntly in her book, The Spine of the Continent, nature doesn't work without connection. Standalone protected areas are not sufficient. Think about P22 stranded in Griffith Park after his daredevil journey, and animals are disappearing even within national park boundaries, the best protected places on the planet. Mary Ellen offers an example of the problem. Pronghorn use an, an ancient migration path in the Rocky Mountains that dates back more than 6,000 years. And even though ranchers and roads and oil drilling block their path, the animals refuse to deviate from their course. It's not enough to place them in a habitat of our choosing when instinct draws them elsewhere. Their insistence on following the path of their ancestors would have spelled their demise, has it not been for a dedicated group of people, representing a range from industry interests to environmental activists, now actively working to help the pronghorn. As for our foxes, they don't migrate, but they do need to disperse. Like P-22 and his mountain lion kin, foxes, and all wildlife really, rely on genetic diversity to survive. Isolation can lead to extinction, and city boundaries are formal barriers. Lucky for the Facebook foxes, they found an inviting habitat. As a result of a rising environmental consciousness, a trend of sustainable building, and the desire to keep talented high-tech workers happy, technology companies are now designing and building campuses that bring greenery back into the city. The campuses are not untouched wild areas, but the foxes don't care. When the foxes stood at the Facebook campus considering their next move, did they try to see past the concrete buildings and roadways? Did they sense the cattle grazing on the distant hillsides from 150 years ago? Could they smell the toxic metals swirling in the wastewater being pumped underground or the lingering scent of apricots and cherry blossoms? Did they see the marshlands of 500 years ago deafening with birdsong or the flowing creeks lined with willow trees that their ancestors used to climb, now long cut down? When they marched into the Facebook campus and trotted past the first stunned employees, did the view of their historical birthplace persist, urging them on? Or did they simply do what worked, napping on the hood of a BMW in the employee parking lot, warmed by the sun, content with their new world as it was? You know, for me, that, that is the challenge for us. We are the ones who are held up with nature needs to be in a pristine area. P-22 doesn't care. The foxes don't care. They want to live just like we do. And if it means, if their only way of existing means in a city, that's not for us to judge. You know, we need to give them the opportunity. And I think the Facebook Foxes is just such a great example of that. So, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, we all agree. But um, I think that that's our job is to get people to reconsider that our human spaces are okay for wildlife. And this is challenging. I, I know some of the scientists I've been lifelong friends with and work with, this is hard for them. Um, one of my colleagues in Yosemite, I did a TED talk on this. And um, after she watched it, she said, you know, she was cringing. She's like, you just contradicted everything I've spent my life doing, which is to keep people away from wildlife and she's like didn't you know that you know there's studies that wildlife and you know people or cities are more stressed and I'm like I'm more stressed in a city I mean you know I I think you know the wildlife of of course that makes sense but on the other hand if it's between them not living uh, and being stressed I think we'd all pick a little stress in our life so Uh, so the last story I want to focus on and there's so many in the book I wish I could touch on uh, is the wolf and although the mountain lions inspire me uh, a lot, and it's what most of my time I spend working on I think the most remarkable conservation success story of our time is that we have wolves in California now just think about that 90 year absence and we didn't reintroduce them they came on their own And if you haven't followed this story, uh, OR7 showed up in about uh, 2011. He was a a descendant of the wolves that were reintroduced to Yellowstone in Idaho in the 90s. And he made a a long journey, um, about 500 miles, at least as the crow flies, but he actually made about a 3,000-mile journey as he wandered looking for a new home and uh, he did have a, a collar on him and so the you know we were following he became just as much a, a celebrity and he gave P-22 a run for his money um, he has a movie about him as well he has a Facebook following um, and P-22 and him have talked on Twitter once in a while so <laughs> um, but he did a remarkable thing for a wolf and we were all avidly watching online in, in fact the California Department of Fish and Wildlife website was crashing because so many people were checking in to see when he he would cross into California. And remarkably, he did in 2011. Um, but like most Californians, he then moved back to Oregon to raise his family. Um, and it, it was interesting, though. The scientists had sort of written him off. Before, uh, he crossed into California, and when he went back to Oregon, his, his collar was failing. And the scientists were like, oh, we probably won't erase it because you know his journey was remarkable but you know wolves are still 20 years off you know from being in California he's a lone wolf there's no other wolves around well this is what I love about working with wildlife we don't know everything and they still have the capacity to surprise us and what happened a female shows up on a GPS camera, and a few months later, we have puppies against all odds. And indeed, the female was actually from his hometown, so he met the girl next door, uh, you know, 500 miles away. So they have um, some wolf pups. And California did something unprecedented here. And this gets back to how these stories make a difference. It's like the Wildlife Quarter. We're going to get that built. We still need a lot of help. You know, we we have to raise 50 million dollars, but we're going to do it. I, you know, Jerry says that in the meeting. Because of P-22, they've been talking about that wildlife corridor for 20 years, but in very biological and scientific terms. And now we have a story we can relate to. A lonely bachelor who's dateless <laughs> and trapped in traffic, who can't identify with that in, this, you know, in L.A., so that's inspiring people to do something, and you know that's amazing. Same thing with OR7. He shows up with pups, he makes this incredible journey, and California did something absolutely unprecedented. Voted to protect an animal on the California Endangered Species List, and it's a good thing we have a California Endangered Species Program, which given the current political climate is a good thing. We voted to protect him, even though wolves weren't even in the state permanently at the time. It was unprecedented, and that's because of his journey. And then, but the scientists were just like, oh, wolves in California are still 10 years off. You know, he's still in Oregon, he's 50 miles away, it's going to take them time. What happens a year later? A whole unrelated pack is detected the Shasta pack with pups the first permanent wolf pack in California in 90 years. And then a couple other lone wolves show up. So I think, you know, OR7, we can thank him. I think he left a scent trail and said, California's open for wolf business, and they are here. <laughs> to me, this is amazing. So I'll end with um, the introduction to the wolf chapter, which uh, tells the story of OR7 and the, and the story of um, the wolves um, coming back to California because they were a part of the landscape. What does California remember of wolves? Do the tule elk, those scattered remnants of the wild herds that once roamed California in the hundreds of thousands, recall the wolf packs that gave chase across the wide grasslands of the Central Valley? When the elk trot stiffly, arching their necks and holding their heads high, are they putting on a confident display for a predator long gone? Do they still have a warning call reserved for wolves, unused for generations? would they shiver if they heard a howl carried over the hills by the wind or have the, even the elk forgotten that haunting song does the condor itself nearly vanished into legend imagine wolves loping on the hillsides as it soars overheads, its magnificent wings casting moving shadows on the land like clouds do as it glides on the rising thermals of air scouting for carrion, does it remember the bounty wolves brought to its kind when it could follow the hunt from above, watching the wolves conquer an elk or deer and be assured of the leftovers? Does each generation of condor pass along renewed hope of finding a wolf in their mist? Do the coyotes celebrate the banishment of their one-time nemesis? The absence of wolves to keep them in check has assured their recent reign as the dominant canine in all corners of California. Does the coyote remember a time when it had to abandon a carcass when wolves appeared, dashing away at full speed because the price of a meal in wolf territory could mean death? Do the timid kit foxes suffering from the unrestricted harassment of the coyote long for a day when the wolves might return to end the unbalanced regime? "'Do the wise and long-lived ravens "'as they feast on a roadkill brush rabbit "'or the half-eaten remains of a hamburger bun "'remember a time of plenty "'when they led wolves to the elk herds "'and were rewarded with rich scraps from their kills?' In the willows and cottonwoods and oaks snuggled by the riverbeds, and the grasses and wildflowers coloring the meadows in the spring, and the blackbird feasting at the elderberry tree, and the red-legged frog resting in a vernal pool, do they retain a collective memory of the almost forgotten world once shaped by wolves? Do wolves remember California? Do they remember the bellowing of the tool elk resonating across an almost limitless playground of the San Joaquin Valley? Where they could lope for miles over the rippled hills and rest in the shade of the riparian oak woodlands, do they remember hunting under the watch of the tall redwood forests or splashing about in the marshes near the shores of the San Francisco Bay, relishing the abundance of prey in this bountiful land thick with herds of pronghorn elk and deer? Do they remember the moonlight glinting on the polished granite of Sierra Nevada peaks, or having to relinquish the hard-earned kill of a mule deer to a grizzly in a mountain forest? Do they remember the dense, salty smell of the ocean or the sharp, arid air of the desert? Whether the wolves have forgotten the scent of the Golden State or the condors and coyotes and elk of California have forgotten the music of the wolf, it doesn't matter. A landscape is regaining its memory. The wolf has returned. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Um, I'm... um I'm going to be here answering questions. Uh, I wanted to pass around. I forgot this is P22's paw print, courtesy of Miguel and one of our volunteers, Julie Newsom, who um, uh, who made the cast. Um, Miguel found the track, though. I just wanted to pass around. This is not huge. They are not huge animals. He's about 120 pounds, but it's something pretty cool to touch. Um, but I am happy we have time for questions. And yeah, questions. Mm-hmm, yeah, yes, you in the back there. I feel like a teacher. You. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. a wonderful book. Oh, thank you. It's a project to work on, and it's so of the moment and uh, hopeful. Not to sound unholy. Un- no, you can, and we, you know. <laughs>
1: in the recent past, there have been some unfortunate intersections with boomers in the local area. Mm-hmm. I mean, just chasing them out from under a house on Glendower. mean, people
0: who lost their lives in Orange County or malls? Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that will never happen here. Right. But what
1: is the moral response of our society to, to a catastrophe
0: like that? You know, it's a really good question. And um, mountain line attacks are extremely rare. There has been six deaths in a 100 years here. Um, when you consider that, is it like... Oh, God, I always... The statistics are in my book. I'm terrible at math. I think it's... Um, 700 deaths a year just in L.A. County by autos alone, but it's hundreds of deaths a year just by autos alone, and then you get tens of thousands of uh, injuries by cars. So, listen, I think both sides tend to either overestimate the risk or underestimate the risk. These are wild animals, and I can't guarantee P-22 is not going to hurt anybody, but he hasn't, and the risk is pretty low, so putting the risk in perspective. And I think it's fair to say that you know, there's going to be another attack. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be here or wherever. We have mountain lions all over California, but I think you hit on it. I think we have a moral responsibility to put that risk in perspective, and if we really are concerned about human safety, we should probably be working on highway safety or an, a whole host of other issues that would, you know, um, make us safer. Um, mountain lions are, like, so low on the list. I mean, I think it is, you know, you're more likely to be struck by lightning. But I think we also have a moral responsibility to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen and that is if you have pets I have five dogs and two cats my cats are indoor, I have a predator friendly fence, we bring them in because if we are attracting mountain lions to our area um, that's not going to usually end well for us or the mountain lion Um, uh, so so yeah, I think the last um, death by Mount Line was in 2001. Does anybody know the?: I should know this. Um, but it was in the early 2000s. It was two the Orange County attacks. There hasn't been one since, Knock on wood, but uh, you know, it, there, it's going to happen, I think, but it's, it's how we respond to it. Is I think that you know the moral, and that we can do things to ensure, like you know, don't go hiking in Griffith Park at 3 a.m. I mean, you know, help P22 be successful so he doesn't think you're a deer. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and, and you know, many of you I'm sure have followed the P45 saga, where um, you know there it is creating an unsafe situation. I mean, P45 is getting too used to livestock, which is in human areas, but I, you know, I I don't want to assign blame, but what is the fix to that problem? If you shoot P-45, another mountain lion is just going to come in. So it is our responsibility if we're going to have livestock here to protect it. Um, Did that answer? Was that, yeah. I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I understand if you're not familiar with mountain lion behavior... Um, mountain lions are pretty scary looking, right? But I think that's one thing that P-22 has done, you know, I mean, like carrying the cutout around is that it's not just all like fun celebrity. People are learning about what normal mountain lion behavior is, so I feel like if people... um and I do a lot of school talks, and I do for kids like, what happens if you see a mountain lion? You want to be big, and we do, you know, roars, even though mountain lions don't roar. But you know, the kids like to do that. Um, so I think it is on us. If we're gonna, the only way mountain lions are gonna remain on this landscape is if we want them here, and and part of that is. Is being okay with the really minor risk and, and taking responsibility um, for ensuring that they're successful. So, good question. It's a really good question.
1: So, what is your advice
0: for someone who likes to hike in groups? Yeah. Uh, you know, listen, I have hiked alone for 30 years uh, in Yellowstone where we have grizzlies and wolves. Um, I hike in y- Yosemite. The risk is not zero. But if you, in, in, I know I'm like you, I like to hike alone and um, it's not the best thing to hike alone, but if you really do want to do it, I mean, hiking in a group is much safer. I don't know a mountain lion alive that's going to go after two people. It's not that, you know, I never say never, because these are wild animals, but if you're in groups, you're, you're probably okay. But if you do want to hike alone, avoiding the hours they're active. Um, you know, they really hunt from dusk to dawn. And so, you know, if you're on a trail, um, if you're hiking at that time, if you really need to do it, um, make a lot of noise, be big. Um, carry a pack if you're hiking alone. Or, um, you know, make a lot of noise. Seem like a threat to the mountain lion. Um, and I know we're all taught... Um, like with bears to play dead. And, and that, that is, for bears, it's a very different tactic. For mountain lions, uh, you really want to be aggressive. You want to make eye contact. You want to know... Mountain lions are stealth predators. They go for the easy takedown. And once the element of surprise is gone... Um, they don't like to work hard, right? So I always tell people: if you see a mountain lion again, there's no 100%. But if you see a mountain lion, you're probably okay because you, as long as he knows you've seen him, you want to, you know, yell and be big and pick up sticks and pick up a bike if you're on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if if you uh, do want to hike alone, just be aware of your surroundings, be noisy, have something that you can fight back with, like a hiking stick's a good thing. If you, you know, if a mountain lion does attack you, you know, fight back. Um, someone I think fended off a grizzly bear with a water bottle just knocking it on their nose so um but you know just keep in mind uh, avoid the times they're active and um you know that the risk is pretty low don't you know i, I don't want people hiking you know thinking every corner Mount Lion's about to leap out that's just not how they behave yeah do you want to talk about the bridge a little bit yeah thank you i'm glad you asked that of course i i'm gonna i if nobody did i would talk about it at the end but the wildlife bridge Again, LA is doing something unprecedented. This is going to be the largest urban wildlife bridge in the world. It's the first that's really been done in this urban setting, over 10 lanes of pavement. Um, So this is underway. I know um, we're in sort of this really boring period, which is Caltrans is in the environmental documents uh, phase, which, unless you like policy and regulation, I really don't have much fun stuff to share with you. Um, But we have Caltrans, and um, those of you who have given to Save LA Cougars, we have them funded through August of this year to complete that phase. It's probably going to be September now. We're having a, a couple things we need to retake a look at. Um, we have a $10 million goal by the end of this year to keep them on track and to get them to shovel ready. We're at $3 million. And we hope to be able to announce some leadership gifts, um, especially around P-22 days. So we're getting there. Um, this is underway. It's going. If I do my job and, and everybody steps up, um, we, will, we will make it happen. And we will make it happen. I don't care if I have to spend the next 50 years running around. But where we do need your help is we just need connections to people. Um, there are a lot of people who can write this check. And that's what I love about this campaign. There's no bad guy. I don't have to fight anybody. It's, in some respects, even though it's a 50 million and some change price tag, uh, it's one of the easiest conservation campaigns I've worked on because there's no bad guy. I don't have to fight anybody. The land's protected. The city of Agora Hills, where it is, is in Caltrans road. They're doing it. Um, you know, the, all the legislature there. You know, S- uh, Assembly Member Bloom. You know, I can go down the list. Every everybody supports this. It's a matter of writing a check and that's all that stands in the way so if if please get involved whether from volunteering or if you know people that might be able to connect us to foundations that can do this Um, the Annenberg put up the million we're so thankful they're helping us Um, we just need to get to that $10 million goal we'll worry about the construction costs after that to keep Caltrans on target if we keep with our goals this will be built 2021-2022 and we'll all be celebrating and the urgency is, some of you may know this mountain lion population is going extinct they have done modeling and because of the genetic isolation we like to joke about p-22 not getting dates but he is symptomatic of the problem these islands of habitat created by these freeways the mountain lions are inbreeding uh, at rates that are almost as low as the florida panther so they give it at best 50 years with this new study if we don't do anything and that's just based on the genetic uh, collapse. That study is not taking into account when they get hit by cars or die from rodenticides. So if you have something like we had happen this over the holidays, where P39 and two of her kittens got taken out, that 50 years shortens very quickly. Or if P45 was shot, think you know again, LA stepped up and said that cat cannot be killed. Um, that was great. But if he was shot, now you're shortening that 50 years considerably because there's so few males there. So thank you for asking. Please get involved. We're going to do it but we, we still need your help to do it
1: but where will that be built and actually mm-hmm. over
0: a freeway yeah so if you want to see it you know email me I'm happy to take but it's very easy to see if you drive 101 out towards Agora Hills it's the Liberty Canyon exit and it will become very clear when you get there where it is because it's one of the last spaces where you have green space on either side where the animals can move but if you just get off the exit it's right there so Yep, yeah, got mm-hmm. to follow up to mm-hmm. question about the that lion uh, attacks.
1: Mm-hmm. I seem to recall reading that that mountain lion that attacked
0: and killed the I think it was a woman. Yeah, it was two women. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. She was ill. The the mountain lion
1: was ill, and it's normally Mount lions don't
0: run out and attack people. Right.
1: So I just to follow.
0: No, I think there's a good point. I mean, Jeff Sickich, I, I I love him. He's my hero. He he says and he's right. You know, mountain lions don't see us as prey. If they did, we'd all be dead. <laughs> there's, you know, f- there's never been a statewide survey, but there's probably about 4 to 6,000 mountain lions based on territory size in California. They are extremely good at hunting. You know, they are stealth predators. We'd be take, you know, be taken out at thousands a week if they wanted to hunt us. So, and yeah, it's usually the ones that attack are usually the youngsters who are feeling their way and don't quite have it down like want to hunt. So it is extremely rare. Again, I don't like to, you know, underplay the risk, but I don't want to overplay it either. Um, but yeah, it usually is the youngsters or ill ones, so... Yeah? Mm-hmm. What about bringing in a female? Yes. P-22? It's a <laughs> P22 does have a Tinder account. Yeah. Uh, he does, um, and we do like to do matchmaking. Um, on Valentine's Day on his page, um, and if you don't follow him on Facebook, do. It's, it's really fun. And I'll let you in on a secret. It is me, but... Um, <laughs> When I tell people that during talks, it's like I've told them, you know, Santa is... You know, you know they're like, really? I'm like, it's not him. Um, but I love how people talk to him. It really is one of the, my most favorite things I've ever done in my career is BP-22 on Facebook. But we get a lot of people proposing mates for him all around the country. Like, you know, there was a Florida Panther that went video that went viral and someone posted, hey, is this the one for you? Um, but here's the problem with that. Um, a... And uh, we don't know if he'd like her. I mean, (laughs) you know, have you ever been on a blind date? Uh, It doesn't always work out. Um, But also, Griffith Park is pretty small. I mean, it's pretty small to support him. I mean, we've, you know, the scientists of the National Park Service and Miguel and friends of Griffith Park have been monitoring, but, you know, it's a pretty, again, it's the smallest known home range ever recorded for a mountain lion. They usually have 250 square miles each, and it's eight square miles. So, um, we could put her down there, but you'd have to plop her back out, because it just won't support to um, uh, so that you know that could be a problem as well um, plus you know uh we talk about again we don't want to increase the risk of human uh well, you put two mount lions in that park who are in breeding mode it's yeah <laughs> i don't see a good outcome there <laughs> so so yeah i mean unless a female makes it there which is unlikely but i never want to rule anything out remember or seven's mate somehow appeared uh, or he decides to leave i, I think he's you know, it's okay to anthropomorphize, by the way. I want to just... You know, I've, I tell this to groups of scientists. It's okay. It's, it's not the bad thing we've been told. Um, they do have, if not similar feelings to us, we can relate to them. And I think he's just sort of come to terms with, like some of us do. Uh, before I got married last year, I was fine with being single. I... I <laughs> love that facebook status saying single i think he's just come to terms with you know it's not bad i you know i got plenty of food this is my kingdom i don't have somebody nagging me um that's better than trying to cross the 101 again so i, I think i'll just stay here uh so um but yeah and the other question people usually ask is why don't you move him? um and a couple problems with that um a he might try to come back you know, he has really claimed that as his territory, so you could probably, which probably wouldn't have a good outcome. I, I really doubt he could get across those freeways again. Um, or there's no unoccupied mountain lion space. I mean, where there is mountain lion habitat, there are mountain lions, so you'd be plopping him down in a space occupied by a male, and um, usually they, they will fight to the death. Plus, you know, if you were plopped down in a strange place 100 miles away, you're probably going to get into trouble because you don't know the area, you don't know where to get food, you'd probably rob the the supermarket and you know <laughs> um, so that you know you're, you're causing trouble so I think you know the, the scientists are monitoring him I think if he started getting into trouble again it might be something they consider but really last case scenario yeah in the yellow mm-hmm.
1: do you know where he is at all the time
0: um, the biologists do uh, Jeff Sickich and Seth Riley who track him they have a radio caller on him um, they actually know every hour so they get, a, they get a GPS point every hour where he is so yeah they're, they're pretty uh, they do not reveal that to the public real time um, if you saw the LA Times article recently it was great they put a map of where he roams but for security reasons they don't publish that real time but yeah they, they pretty much know where he is every hour
1: mm-hmm
0: you know uh, it probably won't Uh, what I like to say about P22 the bridge is not going to help him Um, but he has become the sort of martyr for the cause and if the bridge was in like, we celebrate him and I think it is the most amazing thing in the world he's living in Griffith Park but it's not a success story for him you know he, he really should be roaming like a mountain lion should I mean he's been there over five years now and has stayed in this very small area so we like to say that um, he, you know, his journey is inspiring this bridge so that, his relatives will not go through what what he went through, um, but yeah, it won't it won't help him. Um, if he if the bridge had been in place when he was roaming, he probably wouldn't have been he probably wouldn't have gotten to Griffith Park. He would have went north, which is the promised land. I mean, if you look on a map, once you get across the one hundred one, the one hundred eighteen and one hundred twenty six are not. I mean, there's certainly problems, but they have much greater success navigating though. There's actually an equestrian tunnel on the one hundred eighteen that mountain lions have used. If they can get up to Los Padres National Forest, there. You know, that's three thousand square miles of, of happy place for them. So, in the back there.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned
0: more well, you mentioned more oh yeah. Jerry, do you want to answer that? I'll give that to Jerry because it, it's a huge threat. Yeah.
1: It's really huge. Um, as you know, in 2014, B22 was really sick. Uh, Recaptured, They treated him in situ and
0: he recovered very quickly. Uh, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of mountain lions been three, uh, three in the study mm-hmm.
1: in the Santa Monica Mountains area uh, died of pesticides, and many others have, have been shown to have levels of uh, anti-flank Big issue for wild cats as well. Friends of Brickle Park actually took uh, four I uh, freezer samples of dead animals that uh, National Park Service had in the freezer and did did uh, liver tissue samples and, and all of them came back with, most of them came back with multiple
0: anti-collective
1: uh, poisons in their skin.
0: It's, it is a huge threat to wildlife. I mean, P-22 could, could get exposed again. He might not be so lucky. Um, and I'll tell you, it only takes... One viewing of uh, they basically bleed internally to death, and um, you know it only takes one viewing of any animal to do that to make you never use these rat poisons. So there's great resources like Poison Free Malibu and Claw have been very active on this issue. Go to their websites. It's a very easy solution too. I mean, we don't need to be using these poisons. I can tell you, it's not just L.A. This is a statewide problem. Um, You know, when they test wildlife populations anywhere, even remotely, like like up where I live uh, half the time in Yosemite. They're just not finding any mountain lions without these poisons in their system. So um, it's it's really something LA's again has been leading the way in Malibu and other areas, but it needs to be statewide. And,
1: mm-hmm. and the state is actually testing it um, again. They tried it last year, getting it through legislation to completely eliminate the use of antimicrobials mm-hmm. in the state except for agricultural use. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, our members will probably get an email.
0: <laughs> and on mm-hmm. In the back there in the book? Mm-hmm.
1: In Hollywoodland, uh, one afternoon, five o'clock or so, uh, my dog woke me up and I looked and I thought, okay, I'm mean, deal with like
0: that. Oh.
1: Uh, I called my wife and daughter and they missed him. I went across our property, we got an adjacent lot and with binoculars spotted P22. Yay! <laughs> and the uh, so he was uh, identified
0: in college mm-hmm. uh, and then later my daughter and I were jogging on I'm all her, uh on a bike path and I and about 10 feet away brought it down into a little canyon I was so happy Is that, that was probably P-23 his proposed love match yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't that close <laughs> <laughs> I could
1: hear the and mm-hmm. I saw three
0: I am so glad you have that. I have that attitude too. I mean, it's always, to me, the most magical experience when we encounter these wildlife. And despite what the press reports, despite what, although I will say the LA press is so wildlife friendly, but despite what you see on Animal Planet, animals attacking, and most wildlife encounters end harmlessly for both wildlife and people. And I'm with you. These are, I'm honored when I get to see a mountain lion or a bear or, or a wolf. So, in the room? Mm -hmm. yeah they have been known to attack horses it's not out of the realm they're a little big for them though i mean i I think they tend to go after the smaller like goats and um alpacas and stuff Uh, but certainly there have been attacks i mean it really is if you have horses bringing them in a protected structure at night does eliminates most of the hazard that you know it is a rare it's not that it doesn't happen again this is wildlife like us who can be unpredictable it's a pretty rare mountain lion that hunts during the day they do not like being seen by us um they have seen you i can guarantee every one of you have been seen by a mountain lion but um they don't like to see us so it's definitely a risk but you know just bringing them in at night is is um you know it pretty much eliminates it so uh yes you in the glass yeah. yes. mm-hmm. um,
1: congress passed legislation this week to open the public lands of the africa to hunting <sighs> etc. The Trump administration is anti-science. What do you expect going down the line when
0: you're going to touch the audio? I'm glad I live in California, let me I'll just say that, yeah I was really disappointed in a couple things they just did which was overturn the lead bullet ban, yep. um, I, I don't know why, I mean that was sort of a no brainer again I'm glad I live in California uh, Jerry Bound passed a lead bullet ban that fully takes effect in 2019 um, the, the, uh, the what the resolution you're referring to is Obama had signed a resolution prohibiting not wholesale hunting but the use of methods like killing bears and wolves in their den, helicopter shooting, just really, uh, you know, banning some of the crueler practices, um, that the, you know, they wanted to do on the, our lands. These are our federal lands that these practices, these aren't, you know, private spaces, but, and unfortunately that could overturn. So that was really disappointing as well. Um, you know, uh, my organization, the National Wildlife Federation, is a bipartisan group. We, you know, we try to. We have very, you know, people who are, uh, you know, M- NRA members. We have people like me, who's a vegan animal rights activist, and so we try to find common ground. But I think it does say something, um, and we are trying to find whatever common ground we can with the Trump administration. On the other hand, I think it says something that uh, the first time in our 80-year history, we um, formally opposed a cabinet uh, nomination, um, the EPA. Um, So I'm a a hopeful person, but I guess um, what I'm looking for is we are lucky to live in California, and we do have some amazing state protections that... um, will not be affected by whatever goes on federally, and I think that's the hope I'm clinging to these days. So I I don't know that that's the most hopeful answer. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, it's been a little scary for me as well that uh, I don't know why... Nixon passed the Endangered Species Act. I mean, think about that for a minute. Ronald Reagan was instrumental in the Mountain Lion Protection Act here. So when did wildlife become a partisan issue? I don't know. It, it is puzzling to me. So um, anyway, yeah, it, it's a good question. I think, listen, we can get a lot done here in California, and we can, we can focus on that for now. Thank you. hmm uh, you already. I, sorry, you already asked one. So let me make sure I get everybody first. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned like education in schools and mm-hmm. things like that, but, uh, and the, uh, educating the people who are coming to Yosemite. Mm-hmm. What about something like that for Los Angeles? Because a lot of the people have questions mm-hmm. and understand that we're the problem. Right. So do you know if there's any education programs? Uh, we do. So Tony, who's here, is, um, represents our EcoSchools program. We have a, if, you're, if you're a teacher or um, you know, know of schools or have kids in schools, it's a great program that gets kids to be stewards. But we also have sort of localized curriculum that he works on um, about coexistence and about what they can do. We do a series. We just don't have a lot, you know, enough manpower. But I do school talks all the time. And the kids are great. They get it, Right. For adults. Yeah, for adults. <laughs> I agree. Um, I do talks all over. I have a Living with Mountain Lions talk. Um, if any of you want a venue in your neighborhood, the National Park Service does a lot of this. Um, they do a lot of coexistence um, talks as well. Um, the um, City of L.A., they are they have one wildlife officer, and he's amazing. But he's one for the whole City of L.A. So I think you're right. That's what needs to happen, and through my talks I try, but I think it's just a lack of resources, you know. And I think part of it, like the P-22 day was part of that, but we need to be doing that, you know, a lot. So Yeah. I think I do increase in the number of visitors to the park. Like, I, mean, I, I know it's been five years. Has that affected me? Oh. How can P-22 be doing that has mm-hmm. the increased in the number of visitors to the P-22 you know I don't know, I, I would think so. I mean I, I mean, you read about it um, but um, he's doing great. in fact, Miguel, uh, if you go to either p22's page or Friends of Griffith Park sometimes post, Miguel's got some latest footage. in fact, he was able to get some footage of him making a noise. What do you think the noise was? Anybody want to guess? Miguel, you want to do it? It's like sure. It was like a bird It's like a bird tweet. Yeah, mountain lions don't roar. In fact, they're pretty quiet until mating season, and then oh my god, it sounds like a woman being murdered. But um, <laughs> but yeah, check out Peach um, uh, p 2's page. We you regularly post some of Miguel's friends of Griffith Park's page too. Photos. He looks amazing. Um, but to your second question, I don't know. I mean, it's a good um, question. I would think. I mean, he gets. He was just in the New Yorker. You know, he's. Um, you know, he's he is a famous cat, so I would think people are reading about him and trying to see him, which of course is a lost you know god. But um, I, I, I don't know is the answer. Jerry, do you have any thoughts? Do you think it's more people coming to try to see him? Or is it just more people coming to, to Griffith Park? Mm-hmm. Well, he's
1: happy that not. People aren't there at
0: night. Uh, uh, mm-hmm.
1: As far as deer, we really have a no, decent baseline on deer, so we don't know if they're being depleted. Mm-hmm. We wish we would have had a baseline. We would have been uh, watching the you
0: know, deer on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Mountain Lions in the Wild, like twelve, thirteen. Um but here's the interesting thing about P twenty two, and I know Miguel and I have talked about this and um, in captivity they'll live up to like 25 years and in some respects P-22 is kind of in captivity not totally he doesn't have another male which is really the number you know in the um, Santa, Monica mountain, um, Santa Monica Mountain study done by the National Park Service of, of all the lions the number one actually cause of death is death by other mountain lion because they can't get out of each other's way right they can't they can't so um, he doesn't have another male which would wear you know wear him out and he doesn't have a female which you could argue would wear him out, too, at certain times. Um, he's got, at least for now... Plenty of deer. He's he's you know they hike in the researchers you know Miguel's hiked into kills the National Park Service researchers hike into all the kills. He's eating primarily deer, um, so you could argue he's almost in captivity. So he may live longer. Uh, you know if he rodenticides or traffic doesn't take him out. And as an interesting story, I you know I do a lot of talks in the schools, which is my favorite thing to do. the, the kids they they don't just know P twenty two. They'll come up and be like, "How's P forty five doing? Is P thirty eight still you know?" It, it's it's just wondrous. And if you haven't seen the video of this, the um, fourth graders um, from the Esperanza Elementary School reading letters to P-22 at P-22 day go to P-22 site you will cry they had me in tears um, but the school kids have asked that question and I, just, I gave the same answer I just gave um, and these two little boys I think they're, I don't have kids so uh, I'm, the ages I'm guessing are about 10 but kids from about 5 to 13 all you know, look the same age to me but they came up to me with almost tears in their eyes and they're like Miss Pratt, Miss Pratt can you please promise he'll live to 20 and I'm like okay, okay I'll, I'll do my best but that to me is amazing that you know um, the kids in LA are invested in these mountain lines having a future too so it's pretty amazing Jerry? Mm-hmm.
1: Beth is the star in the- Oh <laughs> no! Well, Jerry
0: and Miguel are, so yeah.
1: But we're going to try to show it sometime soon, either in Griffith Park or some someplace local. for all of So
0: it's the cat that changed America. We did not make it. it it's actually it, it's fun to watch. I've I you know. I'm a you know conservationist. Uh, if you told me I'd be in a film, it is uh, really weird. Wasn't it weird to see yourself like on the big screen? It's really weird, but but again, it's helping get awareness out, and that's we can't thank the filmmaker Tony Lee enough for that. So, other questions or? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, um, I think as successful as we can hope for is he lives. Uh, a natural life out for a mountain line, doesn't get hit by a car, has no conflicts with humans, you know, the pattern he's been on, doesn't get exposed to rodenticides again, and, you know, dies of natural causes in Griffith Park. I think that's, um, I would, you know, I mean, more successful would be that he makes it out, but I just, I think he's come to terms with that as a risky proposition. Um, um, And who's to say he's not happy? Again, some of us are Happy single, so he might be all right. Um, (laughs) You know, it's interesting when I'm in Griffith Park. I stand, if you're looking north, like to Burbank and Glendale, um, and we've done this hike, you know, with Jerry and Miguel and others. And every time I stop there, I look, and you can see, um, you know, the the straight shot roads down Burbank to the next green space. you know, I just keep having this vision of closing that road for a day, and he could just book it. I mean, it really wouldn't take that much to, you know, just, just create a green corridor close one of those roads. It obviously would take a lot, but um, I think that's as successful an end um, as we can envision for him. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, um, but I, I do hope he dies a natural death, and I hope he dies knowing that he did something pretty remarkable that no other mountain lion's done which is inspire a movement um, a movement to coexist with these cats and a movement to do something visionary which is build this the largest wildlife crossing in the world I hope he's not sitting in Griffith Park what is Pratt up to now oh my god she's carrying the cutout and you know <laughs> I mean I you know it <laughs> I, I I hope he takes it in the right spirit so mm-hmm. Uh, he's seven, six or seven now yeah so he's he's not you know he he's not showing as much gray as that p forty one in the uh, verdugos who he likes to duel with so at least on Facebook so other questions we have um, cool all right well I'm um, two things I want to bring up uh, Jonah here Jonah is dedicating um, his bar mitzvah project to helping with the p twenty two project so and um, so he, had, he is on duty tonight, so he's going to tell you, I'm going to be signing books, um, and I will stay long and sign books and answer questions, but he has a special request for you. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, Beth will be signing the books for you, I will be over with the cardboard cutout waiting for you guys to take selfies, and then you can post them on social media with hashtag Save Cougars and then raise awareness for the cause. Cool. Thank you, Jonah. All right.